Mm-hmm. We were talking about serving and volunteers and, and uh, people doing different things. I, I just wanted to let you know, like for years and years and years, the church was basically one size and everybody knew everybody and, and everybody was accustomed to what people's gift sets were and their talents and where they served at. And things are not like that anymore. And, and just in the last two weeks, our youth pastor has been on vacation last Sunday and this Sunday. And we've had two people... Uh, filling in in the youth department that have never uh, filled in before and, and wasn't part of like our, our, our original crew that we had that moved here in this building. So God is up to some good thing. He's raising up new leaders. He's, he's putting talents and gifts on display. And, and God, it, it's exciting. I saw uh, the text this morning from my youth pastor about who was filling in. And I said, who? And, and, and it was amazing that uh, some of the leaders was walking around going, I don't know who this is. And, and, and so th- this is what God's doing. As you begin to grow, healthy things grow. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Healthy things grow. Some of y'all that still got them size 2 jeans hanging in the back of your closet should be saying, I'm healthy then. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm excited to be healthy this morning. You've been waiting to get back in them size 2 jeans for a minute. And, and you healthy and growing. Hey. Speak things that are not as though they already are. I'm going to talk to you this morning from the mindset of when worse is better. And I'm going to tell you up front, there's a few things I'm going to tell you about this sermon. Are you ready? Number one, you're going to want to take notes. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we go an inch deep and a mile wide. This is not going to be one of those sermons. We're going to go a little bit deeper, and I'm going to give you a lot of things that you will not be able to digest and process this morning. You're going to want to write them down, and you're going to want to go back and reevaluate them over the course of time, because I'm going to talk about one thing and only one thing this morning, and it's prayer. It's going to be a long one. I'm, I'm not going to make any apologies. Whenever you have to get up and leave, please, please do so, but I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you up front, this one's going to be a long one because I have a lot to say, and I want to get it into you and into your spirit. Uh, we, we, are, we are doing a series called Unhindered, and if you don't know what that means, we are trying to get two things in this generation unhindered, our faith and our prayer life. These two things are intrinsically tied together. You cannot be effective in one without having both of them in operation. Prayer without faith is just mumbling words, and, and so we need to get both of these things unhindered. I've based this sermon series off of one scripture that God gave me early in this year, at the beginning of this year, and it's Job chapter 42 and verse 2. We're going to read it together this morning. Are you ready? Ready? Read. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. We're trying to get unhindered. And we want to do this, uh, and in order for us to get the message this week, I'm going to take what I believe is a very helpful look at prayer. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you'd like to open your Bibles, I'm eventually going to get there. But if you're going to want to pay attention because I'm going to be asking some questions this morning that has been asked in your life. I'm going to try to teach more than preach. Some of you are saying, yeah, right, preacher. I'm actually going to try to teach instead of preach. I'm going to try to remain tethered to this podium just a little bit. Some of you are going to be like, how come he ain't running and sweating? Well, that's my intention. So again, all this is my introduction. I got one more thing to tell you about this. Number one, 
I want prayer to be effective in your life. I'm going to tell you something now that usually I would reserve until the very end. But I'm going to tell it to you now because by the time I get to it at the very end, some of you will run away. Altar calls are not for everybody else. Altar calls are for everybody. One of the things I'm going to talk about this morning in this sermon is your need to be humble if you want to receive from heaven. We have in this generation such a pride problem that often what is hindered in our prayers and in our effectiveness to receive from God is the fact that we don't want to ever admit that we have a weakness or a problem. So when I open the altar up, some of you would never even think in your mind to come and receive prayer. I'm going to take you over to the book of James later in this message, probably three hours from now, that is going to show you one of the reasons you have been hindered in your prayer life is because you want to keep everything private. But one of the most devastating weapons that the devil uses against you, and I told you, unhindered has been one continual sermon. So every week we build on what we've talked about before. A few weeks ago I talked to you about sheep speak. One of the most devastating weapons that the enemy uses against you is to cause you to be either afraid or too prideful to open your mouth and admit when there's something wrong. So you, nobody ever knows what's wrong with you. Nobody ever knows you have an issue. So you keep it all to yourself and you hinder God's ability to get blessing and healing and wholeness to you. Do you feel thoroughly scolded yet? I love you. I want your prayer life to be effective. The early church set a model for us. They spent every day together. And they were open and confessing about everything. We are private and don't want to say nothing to nobody. And don't ever want to admit that we have weakness. It's a hindrance. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a hindrance. Uh, Okay, so... Some of you have asked the question or been asked before, how come when I pray and then I go look at the thing I prayed about, it looks the same as it did before I prayed? Right? Have have any of you ever prayed about something and nothing changed? That's what we're going to be addressing this morning. And there's two principles that I have been addressing this entire series, and they are going to be imperative that you come into alignment with them this morning. Number one. The absolute authority in your life has to be the Word of God. If that is not in your life a reality right now, you're going to have a hard time with this sermon. Number two, we must, say we must, be submitted to God's will over our own. I'm going to put it to you like this. I've got to want what God wants even if it's not what I want. Now, you're clapping right now, but some of you know that's harder to do than it is to say. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah. I'm going to jump right to verse 2 because that's a bunch of names you don't need to know. Elkanah had two wives. Mandy, you're my favorite wife. 
Because this man's going to show us he had a favorite wife. You're my, you're my favorite wife. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Everybody say, aww. Uh-huh. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, (laughs) he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Everybody say, that's bad. Yeah, if I was giving uh, Elkanah some marriage advice, I'd start with this choice portion bit. He's, so he's given Peninnah and her kids a rack of ribs and T-bones, and he's given Hannah pig's feet. So, so Peninnah would haunt, taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Did you see what verse 6 said? Because the Lord had kept her from having children. Put a pin in that. That's important. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears. Each time, each time. This happened year after year. Year after year. And each time, Hannah would be reduced to what? Reduced to what? Tears. Not prayers. She's crying. She ain't praying. Y'all, y'all done checked out on me already. She would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Mm-hmm. So if the other was bad, say this is worse. Yeah, okay, so it's getting worse now. Now not only does she not have babies, but her husband's other wife is making fun of her for not having babies. Verse 8, why are you crying, Hannah? <laughs> only a man could come up with this. Elkanah would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You got me? Isn't that better? (laughs) Isn't that better than having ten sons? I can't even say it with a straight face. This brother's got two wives and he... He's showing favoritism to one of them. He's got a favorite wife. And he's got the unmitigated gall to say, why are you crying? (laughs) You got me. (laughs) Isn't that better than having ten sons? So if that was bad and that was worse, I don't know what this is. This is a mess. Poor Hannah. Say, poor Hannah. (laughs) Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. What a novel idea. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. Oh, Lord of heaven's army, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. 
He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. (laughs) Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of the great anguish and sorrow. Before, before she had anguish, before she had sorrow, before she had tears, now she has utilized those things and turned them into prayer. See, she cried for a long time before she cried through praying. She had anguish for a long time, for year after year after year. She kept having anguish. She kept having tears. But now she has used those and channeled them through something called prayer. And the Bible says in verse 17, In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. Hmm. She was sad that she couldn't have children. Remember I pointed out that the Bible said that the Lord had kept her from having children? In her culture, it was considered a curse from God if you couldn't have children. Even if you couldn't have a male child to carry on your husband's name. Of course, this husband got another woman to have. But it was considered a curse from God. In other words, ladies, she was considered less than Peninnah. She was not, she, everyone would have looked at her and judged her based on her inability to have a child. Until one day she goes to church and she prays so hard that the preacher thought she was drunk. And the Bible says God heard her prayers, He never heard her tears. See, it'll get quiet because you don't like this. He never heard. Year after year, she cried. Year after year, she came with anguish. Year after year, she wept bitterly. And God never heard her tears. But he heard her prayer. See, see, let let me explain something. That's some good praying right there. When you can channel your hurt, You can channel your wounds when you can channel the problem and turn it into heaven-splitting prayer. That is what you are aiming for. It's not one of these five-second prayers that you are mumbling while you are brushing your teeth and rushing out the door. I'm not telling you not to pray all the time. What I am telling you is that when you get serious with God, heaven gets serious with you back. I've gotten to the point in 2023 where I am so, choose your words wisely, preacher. I'm so upset with church culture and our inability to take God seriously that I have just about gotten to the point where I don't want to live stream anymore because people want to choose whether or not to come to the house of the Lord based on, well, I just stay here and watch it. But you know what you can't watch from home? Deidre walking off of this stage and going laying hands on Jenny right there. 
You don't get that at home. Y'all not going to help me. Y'all going to be quiet. I'm going to preach it anyway. You can't get that from sitting at home watching it on the Internet. And we have gotten so far removed from church culture, and we've gotten so removed from being plugged in and part of, we don't understand that being part of the atmosphere is important and imperative to you getting your breakthrough. It's not just hearing the Word of God. It's being in an atmosphere where other people are engaged in your process. Hannah did not go away with her sadness broken until she was in the presence of the preacher who told her, heaven just heard you. See, there was somebody else that had to be involved in the process. You need to be in the house of God because you need other folks involved. I thought I might get a good amen right there. She had been wanting a baby for such a long time, but this was the first day her prayer and her faith intersected. And it caused an interaction between heaven and earth. And we're spending a whole lot of time in this series trying to get your faith unhindered. We're trying to figure out what is causing your prayer life to be ineffective. When I was putting this sermon together, I was asking the Lord to show me some things that get in the way of productive prayers. I want to pray like Hannah. Oh, I'm the only one. Like, Lord, send it to me. The rest of these people are... I want to pray like Hannah. When I pray, I want heaven to hear me, and I want to know before I get up from the altar that something just happened in my behalf and that the thing I was praying for has been received. Is is there anybody else? I got five attitudes I'm going to share with you that hinders prayer. Are you ready? Five attitudes that hinder prayer. Number one, your prayers can be hindered by what if. I'm going to have to explain most of these points because they come out of my brain and you don't. One of the biggest hindrances to your prayers being answered is when you go into prayer with the idea, what if I pray and nothing happens? You have been conditioned over the course of your prayer life to expect praying to be ineffective because you've tried prayer before and what you prayed about didn't happen. And so now you are trepidatious about naming and claiming because you're afraid I'm going to try this like I did before. Hannah did it year after year after year. And you are afraid to let your faith arise because you're afraid that you're going to try it and it's going to be like it always has been. What if it doesn't work? I'm going to say something that's going to get me canceled, but you know I don't care. I don't know if you know it, but back in 2020, there was, a, there was something that happened. And, and, and I noticed that there was something during 2020 that was more contagious than COVID. Fear. And maybe even more contagious than fear was the financial incentive for the media companies to spread that fear. Because that's how they get paid. They get you to click on their links. They get you to engage with your eyeballs, and that's how they make money. So they are always trying to feed you fear to keep you engaged with their product. And it just so happens that their product is not news, it's fear. 
And, and, and I liken it to deer hunting. Now, most of you won't realize what I'm talking about, but if you're ever hunting deer and you've only got a buck tag and can't kill a doe, and a doe is a female and a buck is a male, and if you've only got a tag to kill a male uh, buck and all around you are female does, it is nerve-wracking. Because, number one, you can't shoot none of them, but they all got two ears, they all got two eyes, and they all got a sniffer. And if one of those does thinks she got a whiff of you, she'll start snorting and beating the ground, and she won't see you, and she didn't hear you, but she thinks she might have caught the whiff of something that she should be afraid of. And when she starts running, they all start running. And the problem is, don't none of them know what they're running from. We are herd animals. We have a survival instinct that if you see somebody running, I guess I better run too. You don't know why you're running. You don't know what you're afraid of. Is this hitting home with anybody? You don't know why you should be afraid. So when the media and the world pumps your ears full of things that you know you should be scared to death about, everybody starts running and nobody knows why. And it causes you to start praying with, what if? Your attitude toward God shifts to fear instead of faith. The second attitude that can hinder your fear or your prayer is, your prayers can be hindered by, I'd like to buy a vow mindset. Oh, this one's not going to make me popular. Hannah prayed for years. Say yes. Yeah, she, she cried to God for years. She, cried. she went to church and cried for years. Say yes. I wonder how many times Hannah thought, what is wrong with me? I wonder what she thought when she would go to church and cry that she had no children and then she had to come back the next year and cry that same cry again. I wonder how often she thought, what is wrong with me? Most people under the sound of my voice have a hard time trying not to fill in the blanks. Stay with me. You ever been in a waiting room? And Wheel of Fortune's on. And there's a D and a G and another D and immediately you say, Dodge! Deficit! Dead! You start calling out every D and D. Way. You, because your mind immediately, you can't not do it. Y'all act like I'm the only one. You can't not try to fill in the blanks. When you see that on the screen. And you don't think it through. Most of the time you don't even look at the clue. Because you think you can Figure out enough, fill in enough spaces to make a guess. We live in a fill-in-the-blank culture. Boy, y'all are quiet this morning. People hear something you said. They read something you posted. Or they didn't even hear it from you. They heard what somebody else said about you. And then they start filling in. 
they start filling in the blanks and they will contrive an entire thesis on your character based on nothing more than something they heard somebody else might have said to somebody else and then it got to you. And they have a dissertation on what kind of person you are. You can answer a question on Facebook and people will assume that they know how, what kind of character trait you are. Well, you must be one of these Democrats. You must be one of these Republicans. And they'll start filling in the, the gaps of the story based on what they assume and they make a gap. Y'all not going to help me. Y'all are afraid to say amen because maybe they're sitting in a row in front of you. They will contrive an entire thesis of your life story based on nothing more than how you held the door for them at Walmart. They will fill in the gaps. And as bad as that is, we do the exact same thing to God. Hello? You go to God in prayer and you don't get the result that you ask for and you constantly start trying to put clues together to come to a conclusion of why things are happening the way they're happening. Because what it boils down to, are you ready for this? What did I tell you the two things were? If you're going to get a, a powerful prayer life, you're going to have to trust the Word above everything else. Trust the Word above your feelings. Trust the Word above your emotions. Trust the Word above the world news. And you're going to have to uh, permit God to have His will even when it's not what you want. What it boils down to is you don't like to handle life when life doesn't act the way you want it to. How do you respond to a reality that is opposite of your deeply held beliefs? You have a belief system in you, and you believe the world is supposed to work like this and like that and like that. And when life goes according to plan, you're typically in a good mood, or at least you feel stable. But sooner or later, you're going to face some excruciating pain. You're going to have some bad things happen to you. The Bible says into every life a little rain is going to fall. Something is going to happen to you that is going to challenge your theory of life. Your kids ain't always going to sit on your lap, kiss you on the cheeks and say, I love you, mommy. They're going to grow up. Fall in love with somebody else. Leave your house and sometimes forget your phone number. That'll mess your whole theory of life up. What's supposed to happen like that? And it leaves you vulnerable. And the term vulnerable comes from a Latin word meaning to wound. You are woundable. And it gets worse than that. As hard as that is to accept, it gets worse than that because God Himself will leave you vulnerable. God leaves you woundable. He directly supervises what happens to you, but He will allow you to be hurt and even bleed in this life. And Jesus didn't hide this truth from us. He plainly said, in this world, you will have troubles, tribulations. It's easy to assume that He meant some kind of spiritual warfare, but He also might mean that you're going to have to come up with the money to replace a transmission. He also means that you might find a lump in one of your breasts and have to go into some chemotherapy. You don't understand that. You think he's always talking about spiritual mindsets, but he said in this world you're going to have trouble. 
So when these excruciating interruptions occur to us, it's okay to struggle with them. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't struggle. Look at what Hannah did. She cried. She bellowed out of her bosom. She, she, she was heartbroken. It's okay for you to be heartbroken when life's not treating you fairly. It's all right for you to, to process things and to cry. Listen to me. Grieve. Grief is okay. It's okay when life isn't working out the way you thought it should or that you thought it would. When you lose your dreams and your health and your age and relationships and you lose your innocence and maybe even you lose loved ones, it's okay to grieve. It's all right to grieve. You'll never get so spiritual that you're going to become exempt from pain. Of course, you can try. You can quote Bible verses. You can label a spiritual attack. You can refuse to admit, I'm sorrowful. You, you, when somebody says, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm great. I'm highly favored of the Lord. It, you, can, you can keep saying things like that, but eventually you're going to have to accept the fact that you will never get so spiritual to not be sad. And by the way, that's not the point of life anyway. You're going to find it easy when you grieve the, the, the inconsistencies of life to become angry. Can I tell you something? Anger is the easiest of all emotions. It's the cheapest of all emotions. You get moody and you get irritable. Why? Because beneath, beneath anger is always deep sorrow. The reason you lash out in anger is because you've got deep sorrow. And when the world is not working out the way you thought it should, and you hate to be wrong about your view of the world, you hate it when something happens in your family that you can't control. You hate it when you lose your job because you were the linchpin. You were the important piece. You were the car. You hate it when the car breaks down and it ain't even paid off. You hate when life doesn't work out according to your, your will. You Hate it. And because you get sorrowful that life isn't working out, you get bitter and you express it through anger. Is this helping anybody? In our modern world, we try to control every aspect of our life. Technology has made us believe that we're in control. You got GPS in your car so you can find yourself all the time. You got doorbell cameras so you can see all them Amazon packages getting delivered to your doorstep. All that clapping is from the husbands in the crowd. I know that's right. She be getting all them Amazon. You can't stop a woman from shopping. We feel like life is simple when we are in control. But can I tell you that you are never in control of your life? As much as you'd like to believe that you are, there are at least 10,000 things right now that going on that you have absolutely no control over. You can have that GPS in your car that can pinpoint with accuracy exactly where you are and still end up in the middle of an intersection and be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You can have GPS in your car that can pinpoint your accuracy, uh, with accuracy that you have driven off of a bridge into a river. The GPS knows where you are. Didn't help you not go over the side, though, did it? 
Because there's 10,000 things going on all the time that you have no control over. You can't control what they said. You can't control the lies and the inaccuracies. You can't control what they have filled in the blanks about you. You can't control any of that. I would to God that I would have learned a lesson earlier in my life. I can't control other folks' attitude. I used to tell my kid, I will give you an attitude. Thank you. I wasn't the only one. I'll give you an attitude adjustment. But I have also walked around trying to do that to other humans my whole life. And I found out that you can't control other folks' attitudes. There's lots of things that are out of your control. And the famous psalm tells us to be still and know that He is is God. The Hebrew translation to the phrase, be still, literally is translated like this. Let go of your grip. In other words, there is an important aspect to, to being effective with prayer, and it's this. God Above all else, I trust you. I don't have all the answers. I probably don't have all the details. I'm out of control. I do not have the formulation to put all of the things together that needs to happen. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to trust you. You can move mountains. You can split seas. You can make the sun stand still. I can do none of those things. So even when I can't fill in all the blanks, I will trust you. That leaves us vulnerable. Number three, attitude that hinders your prayer. Believing what you see instead of what you know. Now this one's the one that's going to, I'm going to get canceled by culture for the last one. I'm going to get canceled as your pastor in this one. Because this is when we start talking about the devil. And how you're wrong about him. See, the devil doesn't have, to control, uh, doesn't have to possess you to control you. All he has to do is get you to believe his lies. We think we're immune to de- demonic possession because we have the blood of Jesus, and you're right. But the devil can still control you if he's speaking to you and you're believing what he's saying. How can you know if your life is based on lies? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the scriptures tell us, Jesus told us, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So you have to ask the question of yourself, Am I free? Because you can be saved and not free. You can speak in tongues and not be free. You can, you can sing, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, and yet be bound. And if you want to know if what you're believing is a truth or a lie, the filter is always this. Has this belief made me free or kept me bound? Because most of what we think of as freedom actually turns out to be long-term bondage. It's quiet in this mortuary. I can remember my oldest daughter. She'll be 30 in October. I can remember when she was a senior in high school and she already had her eyes on not just college, but the bigger, more important, grandiose graduation of getting out from under my dictatorship. 
She could not wait. She said, I can't wait to move out. I said, that makes two of us, sister. <laughs> she said, I'll have freedom. I said, you got that right. You're going to be free to pay your water bill, free to pay your electric bill, free to pay your car insurance, free to buy your own groceries. How you like that freedom now, chick? And then I remember her calling me the first time she went grocery shopping for her little apartment that was about the size of this stage. Dad, do you know how much a box of Captain Crunch costs? Tell me. She said, Dad, they want $4 for a box of cereal and 3 for a gallon of milk. I said, now do you know why I lost my ever-loving mind every time you and your brother left half an eaten bowl of cereal out to congeal? You think it was about Captain Crunch? I didn't see Captain Crunch. I saw $12 laying there. So yeah, you can get freedom. But that freedom sometimes will give you long-term bondage. You can spend money however you want to. Listen, they are so free in America today with credit cards. You can spend money, you can spend money you ain't got and will never have. Trust me, friend, they'll just keep rolling them things out to you. This is your credit limit. If you spend enough, we'll just raise that credit limit. Well, I can't afford what I already spent. Doesn't matter. Just keep charging, baby. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Damn, man, it's easy now. You ain't got to plug it in or swipe it. Tap. Be poor long, it'll be like osmosis. You just think of it, and the car will jump out, and the code will enter into the register. You can spend money however you want to, but with that freedom comes a cost. They're called payments. And they show up every month whether or not your paycheck does or not. You can actually, because you, you, you think to yourself, well, I didn't have nothing when I was growing up, and I'm going to spend money however I want to. So now you feel like freedom means you can spend money however you want to. But that freedom actually becomes a different kind of bondage. Uh, hello. So look at your life. Look at society as a whole. Does this look like freedom? Does it look like everybody's walking around free, or does it look like everybody's walking around believing delusion, believing a lie? Society says freedom. I'm, I'm about to blow your mind. You ready for this? This is going to be deep. So I'm going to slow down. Society says that freedom is being able to do whatever you want. But the Bible defines freedom as the ability to not do what you want. See, it's a subtle difference. Society says that if you want to be free, then you have no restraints. But the Bible says you are never truly free until you want to do something, but you have the power to tell yourself no. Yeah. See, freedom isn't being able to eat whatever you want to. Freedom is wanting to eat stuff that you're able to not eat. I knew in a Pentecostal church, all my amens would just resign right there. Freedom is not being able to spend money however you want to. Freedom is seeing stuff you want, but knowing that you have a budget. In other words, true freedom looks like this. 
having urges and desires that follow after carnal lusts, and you are able to tell yourself, no. So you're never truly free until the truth is in charge of your decisions. Until the truth is in charge of your decisions. Until the what? Say it again with the emphasis. Till the what? Till the truth is in charge of your decision. The reason I'm beating this is because I'm about to give you some lies. Lies that are affecting your prayer life. Here's a good, here's a good prayer. Lord, help me make a good decision in the next five minutes so I don't have to spend the next five years praying myself out of a mess I got myself into. When you see them pull up in the car and honk the horn and he's got flowers waiting on you, you say, Lord, let me make a good decision in the next five minutes so I don't have to... Y'all not going to help me. So I don't have to spend the next five years praying myself out of something. What kind of lies are you living under? Because if it's true that we're in a spiritual war, we need to see the world through the lens of truth. And sometimes you will believe a lie is truth Because the actual truth is inconvenient. Okay. The truth can become inconvenient when it goes against what you want. Here's the first lie that the devil presents to you. Prayer doesn't work. Do you love me? Because I'm about to walk you through some choppy waters. You got your life vest on. I hope you got your, sheet, your, uh, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you've got your helmet of salvation on because we're about to get into some choppy waters. Prayer doesn't work. What did you base that lie on? You prayed for somebody that was sick. You prayed for a marriage that was on the rocks. You prayed for a bill that was past due. You prayed for something and instead of getting better, it got You prayed for somebody that was sick, and instead of recovering, they died. And so the devil has presented you with a lie that obviously prayer doesn't work. Why? Because what you saw did not line up with what you believed. Are you tracking me? So let's look again at how Jesus said you and I should pray. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Thy will be done. So what we have to do is we have to examine what his will is. Are you with me? Because you are praying about things like sick people, wars, famines, People that don't have enough money, death, violence, injustice, marital issues. You're praying about a lot of things that you don't have control over. And these are the things that make, like Hannah, make you go and pray. We know God's will was a perfect world. Yes? He had a will that the world would have no disease. No sin, no natural disasters, no death. The things that you are praying about was never His will. 
When he created this world, it was not his intention for people to be starving to death. It was not his intention for people to have heartache. It was not his intention for people to get cancer. So that is all against his will. Let me put it to you like this. God had a plan. And according to his will, man was going to live forever, healthy, and have unbroken fellowship with the Creator. Are you with me? But man wanted his own will more than God's. And it got in the way of God's plan. So now we are living in a world that is contrary to God's will. And you and I still do what we want sometimes instead of what He wants. And then our prayers are because we're trying to get God to fix messes that we created ourselves. You're not ready for this kind of word. I told you we usually go an inch wide and a mile deep, but today we're going a few inches deeper, and it's going to mess with your theology because you like to blame the devil. But for instance, God wants you healthy. I can show it to you in the Bible. The, the Bible says that he wants your body to prosper even as your soul prospers. Yeah, he wants, he wants you to be healthy, but we like pizza. Look at me like I'm the only one. All you godly, holy people up in here. Adam and Eve lived in the garden. They ate the best that the garden provided. And it was not His will for us to live in deteriorating bodies with our arteries full of deep fried grease. That's not God's will. It's not God's will for you to have to show up praying for healing not only because you live in a fallen world, but because you've literally got a fried chicken leg caught in your main cartery. Like, <laughs> my wife was talking about which one of us was going to go first, because that's what you talk about when you get older. And I said, well, definitely me. She says, why, because you're older? I said, no, do you see all the red meat I eat? Like, I'm not, I'm not, following, I'm not following a uh, rabbit food diet here. I, I, I have to understand that the way I eat is going to process itself out in problems. My sedentary lifestyle is going to process itself out in issues. When we honestly seek His will, God gives us two powerful compasses to guide us. Number one is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is given to you not so you can speak in tongues and flop in the floor. The Holy Ghost is put in you to act as a compass that will tell you and convict you when you start getting out of line. Because when you have the Holy Ghost inside of you, it will either confirm that you're in God's will or it will redirect you when you start getting off the path of God's will. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. The Holy Ghost is not to make you leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling and, and, and to uh, pray over uh, your food in tongues. That is not what the Holy Ghost was given to you for. It was given to you so that, listen to what it says in Isaiah 30 and 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. It is that internal GPS that tells you you are about to make a boo-boo and you need to correct yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. The second thing, the second compass that we are given is His word. Say the word. Yeah, the word. It is the, it is the guardrails of your life. 
when he provided the word of God for you, it was so that you could grab hold of whatever is in there and establish it as your word. I'm going to say that again. If you can get a word on something and then pray that word, you know you are praying his will. Because he didn't put it in there if he didn't want you to claim it. So let me establish something for you. It is the Lord's will that you love the Lord with all your heart. It is the Lord's will that you love your neighbor as yourself. So when you are praying, God, bring down lightning on Bobby. For he has surely displeased me with the way he talks to me. You're not praying God's because it's God's will that you would treat him the way you treat yourself. It's God's will that you go make disciples of all the nations. It's God's will that you should not commit adultery even in your heart. It's God's will that you should be content with what you have. It's God's will that you should tell the truth. It's God's will that you should not put any other gods ahead of him. That's all God's will. So a lot of things you're praying about isn't lining up with... He gave you the word so you would know exactly how to pray. Because if you are praying about things that is not His will... Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 15-18 through 18 says. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Stop right there. That means people in Walmart parking lot. That means people that don't vote like you. That means your ex. All people. All, all, all people. Uh-huh. How are you going to do that? Because that's not natural. I thought I might get an amen right there. It is not natural that you want to do good to your ex. Or that you want to you invite them to church after they have showed you their bird at Walmart parking lot because you cut them off. Apparently they carry a bird in their car and they don't, they're not afraid to show it to you. It's not natural for you to pull over and say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? That's not natural. How do we do that? Verse 17, never stop praying. How are you going to do this? It's verse 16, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. Be joyful and never stop praying. Be joyful and never stop praying. This is God's will. Will for you. First John 15, or 5, verses 14 and 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. We are confident. We, some of y'all ain't praying confident. Some of, some of you know right now under the sound of my voice that one of the reasons you are not receiving, your prayers are hindered, is because you do not pray with confidence. And the reason you don't have confidence is because you don't have a word on it. Listen to what he says. He says, if you get a word on it, if I can find it in this book, then I can make it my request. 
If I can find it in this book, then I can pray with confidence. If I find healing in this book, I can make my request known unto God. If I can find deliverance in here, I can make my request. If I can find protection for my wayward children in this book, then I can come with confidence and believe that God is going to not only hear me, but he's going to give me what I ask for. If you mess around in this book and find a word on the thing you need, that will give you confidence when you pray. Mm -hmm. But the Word will also show you where you're missing His will. Proverbs 15 and 29. The Lord never even hears the prayers of the wicked. The world is full of people in 2023 that live far away from God. But then trouble comes and they cry out to God. Even though their life is not connected with God. And it hurts your feelings to correct them and tell them, that their prayers are falling on deaf ears. God's not even listening to the wicked. His ears are stopped up from hearing those who disobey Him. And here's where I started this message this morning. James 5 and 16. Before we ever get to the point in this verse where the healing comes, before we ever get to the part in this, vo- in this verse that you're all pretty much in agreement with, which is come up to the front and have the elders pray over, we've already broken this verse. And we wonder why our prayers are hindered. What's the first word of this verse? And some of y'all are real good at doing that for God, to God, in God's presence. But that is not what this verse says. Some of y'all are like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want me to do what? So we're just going to open up. It's going to be open mic Sunday. Everybody jot down a list of your 20 favorite sins and come and confess. What's wrong with y'all? Why y'all looking at me like that? I thought somebody would have snatched. This is your chance to snatch the mic. Listen to what it says. Confess your sins to each other and pray. What we learn here is that if you want prayers Answer. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. If you pray for each other that you may be healed, the earnest prayer of a lukewarm person. Some of y'all are like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 accurate. The earnest prayer of people that I party with on Saturday night. The earnest prayer of the people that are my friends and my buddies and my pals. It says if I want to get healed, I need some righteous people. Because righteous people pray with great power and produces wonderful results. 
So I told you I was about to hurt your feelings. Here comes the point. If you want prayers answered, it starts with living a righteous life. So, so, so you can't live however you want to and expect God to pick up all the pieces because some of you are just praying, but your prayers are not even being received into heaven. Or God is saying, you got yourself in. Sometimes God has the same anointing my mama had. Because my mama used to say, you go to bed with dogs, you wake up with fleas. And God sometimes has got that same kind of anointing. He says, I did not get you into it. My mama used to say, you got yourself into it, you can. Yep, sometimes God says the same thing. Not that God doesn't care, not that God's not, but he's like, if you're going to continue to make this same choice, that's not deliverance. Oh, God, deliver me. Why? You're going to do it again Friday. You already got your mind made. You know you're going to go back out. You know good and well, as soon as he hits your cell, you text him back. You're not going to say, nope, sorry, I choose Jesus. That's not going to happen. Why would he deliver you when he knows it's a momentary display of your affection? So how do you combat the lies? I'm glad you asked with the truth. There's a conflict going on inside of you right now. While I'm preaching this message, there's a conflict. And, and, and six months from now, and if the world remains six years from now, there's going to be this conflict going on inside of you. Because you know it's God's will, but it's easier to believe what you see than what you know. Are you ready? It is God's will, say yes or no, it is God's will for everybody to be saved. Uh, how do we know that? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. It's, it's God's will for everybody to be saved. Say yes. And yet, everybody's not going to get saved. Because we got a word on that too. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So in other words, it's His will for everybody to be saved. But no matter how hard you pray, there's also a word that is going to happen, which is everybody will not. See, I told you you're not going to like this. We know God is a healer. Say yes. How do we know that? Because we have a word on it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. You can quote it in your sleep. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are Yeah, so it is his will to heal. Say yes. But the conflict comes when we also find in the Word, Hebrews 9 and 27. And just as each person is destined to what? I thought everybody was going to get healed. No, it's appointed unto every man wants to die. So, it's his will to heal. Are you, are you tracking me? However, man's will to sin did not just bring sin into the garden. It brought death in as well. And now we have the reality of death to deal with. So he provided something else called eternal life. Because it's appointed unto every man once to die. And then the judgment. 
You are going to live forever. You get to choose whether it's the smoking or the non-smoking section. That choice is up to you. You will live forever in eternity. So you will die once, but some of people are going to die. And let's be honest, most of us sitting here, can I just be honest with you? Most of us sitting here have loved ones that have passed that you would have never, ever agreed to let them go. I'm not speaking to you mean. I'm saying grandpa would be 497 years old right now because he's sweet and kind and always smelled like mothballs and had Werther's in his pocket. And for the last four generations, none of you would have ever said, okay, God, it's time for Grandpa to go. No. How overpopulated would this world be if you got your way? How overpopulated would the world be if every family got to keep all their members? Because, I mean, you all got that one person. God, don't take Grandma, but Billy... I mean, he's kind of useless. <laughs> I mean, he really ain't doing much for the family good. He lives in the basement and plays modern warfare all day. I mean, I'm not even sure anybody'd miss him for a month or two, God. If you just <laughs> can we trade Billy for Grandma? <laughs> like, you are never going, if you get your will done. You will never let go of some people. And then, then. There's this other lie. They're too young to die. Says who? Because you don't have a word on that. I'm trying to teach you how to pray here. You do, that is a contrived notion that humanity came up with. Because the word does not say, Thouest shallest beeth at least one hundredth year of holdeth, before thou can dieth. You don't have a word on that. And by the way, by the way, by the way, you came up with the idea that they're too young to die. Meanwhile, Solomon, you do have a word on this, says this, whether you're young or old, don't make plans for tomorrow. You have not yet been invited into tomorrow yet. You don't know if you'll make it to tomorrow So serve the Lord now. Today is the day of salvation. And he pointed it out, young or old. In other words, who said they're too young to die? And I have been guilty of saying that. for Oh, that's too young to die. Says who? Because I promise you this, Jesus Christ was 33 when they killed him, and it was totally God's will. It was God's will for him to die when he died. When the fullness of time came, he was sacrificed for you. And this is why you have to learn how to pray his will and not your own. Philippians 4 and 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Here's the Greek for everything. You ready? 
The Greek word for everything is everything. In other words, pray about everything. If it matters to you, it'll matter to God. But here's what Paul is saying in this verse. If you're going to worry, don't bother praying. If you're going to pray, don't worry. But if you're going to worry, don't bother praying about it. Hannah got what she prayed for. And notice when Penina when Penina was making fun of her, she would cry and get depressed and get so depressed she couldn't eat. Why? Because her husband was preferring the other woman and the other woman was making fun of her. She was sad, she was depressed, she was tormented, she was wounded, she was upset, and she reacted a whole lot of different ways to her problem. But I wonder what took her so long to actually pray about it. She cried, but why didn't she pray? She wailed, why didn't she pray? She was tormented, why didn't she pray? Our prayers, number four, could be hindered because we only call home when we need something. You got anybody that you know that every time you see their phone number come up, you know good and well they need something. Because the only time they call is when they need something. The Bible says that she cried, but there's no mention of her praying until things got worse. My sermon title, I'm going to give that to you now. When worse is better. Some of you are not going to like these next two points. If you're not mad at me yet, get ready, get ready, get ready. I have to wonder if Hannah was a whole lot like us. She got so used to things not working that she became numb to the pain. It's amazing how numb folks can get. They would rather give up hope that things will improve than live with the disappointment of asking one more time. See, if you're... If you're disappointed with your job, dissatisfied with your job, don't raise your hands. If you're dissatisfied with your job, but you're not quite miserable, you're less motivated to make a change. We call this being comfortably numb. You can't remember the last time you enjoyed being married to your spouse, but you know you can't leave them, you know you can't go anywhere. You stay in the marriage, but you stay comfortably numb. You have been sick for so long, and nothing has changed, and you have decided that healing must be for other people, and you have to just learn how to stay comfortably numb. Our fifth point and our fifth attitude that hinders prayer is our prayers can be hindered by not so bad. I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you very uncomfortable. Sometimes you are better off when things get worse off. I told you it'd make you uncomfortable. That's why nobody said no. No, amen. Psychologists actually have a term for this philosophy. It's called the region beta paradox. And here's what it states. A lot of people stay stuck in addiction. They stay in terrible job situations. They stay in abusive relationships because of the region beta paradox. Because sometimes worse situations can be better than better situations because most of us only change out of two factors, pain or fear. In other words, sometimes worse is better because 
most of you will only try to improve things once you reach a certain threshold of pain or fear. So as long as your situation is terrible, but it doesn't reach the threshold, you will stay in terrible, not-so-bad mindsets because you just assume this must be how my poor, pitiful existence was meant to be. And sometimes you would be better off if your situation would get much, much worse because that would inspire you to change something. You would be shocked at how many people in this room are comfortably numb. I go to church on Sunday, that's better than nothing. You're comfortably numb in your spirit walk. I only get drunk on the weekends, that's better than when I was getting drunk every... I, I, I know this relationship is kind of toxic, but I don't like being alone. Comfortably numb. It's not bad enough to make you hurt enough or make you afraid enough to change anything. So you just coast through the land of miserable over and over and the complacency keeps you stuck. And sometimes you would be better off if things would just get worse. The Word is where I find God's will. Prayer is how we align ourselves with it. If you're wondering what the difference is between the Word and prayer, the Word is where I get the promise. Prayer is how I align myself with that Word. That's what prayer is about. It's not, it's about, it's not about making God move. God's already released the blessing. God's already released the healing. Jesus already bled all He's going to bleed. He's not dying all over again because you messed up or because you need healing. He's not going to do that. It's already done. Prayer aligns you with what he already stated. It's changing you, friend. And we prioritize the prayer team in this church for a reason. Because you see the preachers and you see the singers and you see the greeters and you see the ushers, but nothing really happens significant on earth until somebody prays. So we emphasize the prayer team in this church because prayer is important. And when I, when I give an altar call, it's not for everybody else. It's for everybody. Because if you're hurting, if you're wounded, if you're stranded, if you're stuck, if you if you got this beta paradox going on in your spiritual life, and you're like, you know what, I really need to make a change, but this is just kind of the way, and you're just kind of floating through, and, and, and the kids make you miserable, but, but it's not miserable enough for you to pray yet. This is what Hannah's problem was. Hannah was miserable, but it was not painful or fearful enough for her to really pray about it. So she cried, but heaven didn't move. She belly ate. She got on Facebook and looked for people to feel sorry for her. She didn't really pray. And when she finally did, heaven opened. And so did her womb. Sometimes worse is better. Sometimes God's got to position you in a situation that makes you so miserable that you will pray your way out of it. Do you really want to wait that long? 
Or can you get under his word right now and say, God, no matter what it is, not my will but yours be done. I've been trying this whole time, God, to manipulate you and to, to orchestrate my life because this is the way I think it should be. And I should have been here by now. I should have been a graduate by now. And I should own my home by now. And I should have had my kids raised by now. And, and everything should be perfect in my marriage by now. And we should be ready to retire by now. And I had all this planned out. And none of it looks the way I planned it. And I'm miserable, but I'm not miserable enough to really pray because when I really pray, what's going to happen is I'm going to get up underneath God's will and He's going to cause me to be content with what I got because I realize His will is above my will. Man, I know some miserable Christians. And I'm not downgrading the problems that you face. But you should not be miserable every day you exist. You've been, God has been too good for us to live miserable. Some of you just need to pray Judges chapter 16. I think it's verse 28. This, this is a word. You got a word on it. Uh, throw it up there if you got I know it's I know it's Judges 16. I think I gave it to you. You've got a word on it. And this is all some of it. Listen, sometimes this is all I can pray. Sometimes I go and pray the prayer of Samson and I say, Oh God, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my, except that the Philistines, I put somebody else's, no, no, I'm just kidding. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Give me strength one more time. Sometimes that's all you can pray. Sometimes that's all you got. Give me enough strength to put one more foot in front, one more step today, God. Give me, remember me, God, and give me strength one more time. That's all I got. I'm, I'm not asking for the next 20 years. That's your plans. God said, don't make any plans about tomorrow. Worship me right now. Give me the position in your life that I want right now. Don't, don't worry. Well, in 20 years, I want to be... The world may not exist in 20 years. But you exist right now. God is good right now. Healing is available right now. Wholeness is available right now. If you get in tune with God, get under His anointing, He can break you free right now. What do you worry about 20 years for? You've been miserable for 20 years. Strengthen me one more time. If I walk up to that altar, people are going to look at me funny. The Bible says that some of us are so full of pride, and that's what's hindering our prayers. I need you, and you need me. And if I'm defeated, I can't wait. I've got, I'm, strengthen me one more time, Lord. I Just one Remember me, God, in my affliction. Remember me in my barrenness. Remember me. I, God, I haven't even been praying right. I have had doubt. I have let fear rule my life. Remember me, God. And I'm going to get under your mighty hand right now today in this church. And I'm going to confess it in front of all these people. I'm going to come to the altar and I'm going to ask for people to lay hands on me. Because that's what your word, I've got a word on this thing. I've got a promise that if I will put myself under your anointing, prayer team, don't wait. Come on up here if you're on the prayer team please. Uh, Jessica's not here. We've got some people out, but if you're here and you're a part of the prayer team, please come up and pray for some of these people because they're, 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 obe they're being obedient to the Word. I want you to be obedient to the Word. Come up and lay hands on them. 
We get in your presence, God. We give you ourselves. We give you our, we humbly submit ourselves. We submit ourselves to your word. And God, we're not embarrassed, we're not ashamed to come into your presence and ask for help and ask for prayer and ask you to strengthen us one more time. I don't even know what I'm doing, God. I'm tired of praying for this big grand scheme because right now I just need today. Can you just work this out for me right now? Can you just help me through today? God, can, can, you, just, can you just help me today? Give me strength right now. I don't want to be miserable. I want, I want to have the joy of the Lord as my strength. I, I want to have your word examining me. Strengthen me. One more time. One more time. One, one more time.